Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatech compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Today is Friday, May 11th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 262, featuring NBC Sports Boston's A. Sherrod Blakely and ESPN's Dave McMenamin, is powered by Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com today and get 20% off your first order with the promo code CLNS. Today's show also powered by HIMSS. Get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today just by going to 4hymns.com slash CLNS. Well, it's just like we all expected, right? Celtics, Cavaliers, Eastern Conference Finals, just the way we drew it up so many months ago. Obviously, I'm kidding. This is crazy. It's insane that we're even having this conversation. Adam Kaufman here with you on Celtics Beat, and I apologize. I know it's been a little while since our last show. Part of that was scheduling and just the way things were playing out with that Philly series, but a good series win. Thing is, we're not going to spend really any time talking about it in this show because, as you know, as you start to listen, you can see the time. It's a long one. That's because we're going to spend a lot of time with Asherod Blakely and a lot of time with Dave McMenamin getting both the Boston and Cleveland perspectives on this series. What's going to be different from last year's five-game exit with two totally different teams? Think about the turnover by these two squads. We all know what happened on the Celtics side. We can't even remember when the Cavs had Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and Derrick Rose, and Dwayne Wade on that team. So much has changed, and we will cover it all, along with, of course, big picture items as it pertains to both these teams and what a series win would mean. What would it mean for the Celtics going to the NBA Finals with this crew? What would it mean for the Cavs? What would it mean for LeBron James' future going to the Finals with this team or not going to the Finals? Where is he going next year? Again, we're going to touch on all of that. But just to dive into this thing, again, Game 1, it's coming up Sunday afternoon, 3.30 at the Garden, East Finals, Celts, Cavs, and you know how this goes, right? Seas were basically a pick em in round one against the Bucks. Most expected them to lose to the Sixers in the conference semis, and now a significant underdog against the Cavs in the rematch. Cleveland took two out of three during the regular season. LeBron James won his last four postseason series against the Green, but there's just something different about these Celts, isn't there? You lose All-Stars Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, you're still winning. Suddenly the Celtics are basketball's Cinderella story. People can't talk enough about this team nationally. You have Rachel Nichols, who's fawning over them on a daily basis on ESPN. You have Charles Barkley, who's even starting to come around on TNT and say, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. And credit Brad Stevens. And, I mean, Lord, credit Brad Stevens with the work that he has done, even if his peers refuse to acknowledge it, which is insane. The other remaining champion 
championship contenders have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, or James Harden and Chris Paul, or, of course, LeBron and Kevin Love. The Celts, they have Al Horford and a bunch of kids with star potential, some of whom are already proving it. The vet said his guys, they believe in one another. People from the outside probably expected, you know, not much out of us. But I've seen the way that these guys prepare. I've seen the way that they train and um, and, and they want to be great. And they understand that it's bigger than them. It's about the team. We're playing for each other. Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, each averaging 18 points this postseason. Tatum's been even better his last seven when he's had at least 20 in each. Al Horford, Jalen Brown, even playing through that injury for Brown, they're each averaging 17 points. Marcus Smart is doing Marcus Smart things. I still am convinced he's going to be back next year, but that's getting tougher. Cash is rising. Aaron Baines playing great defensively. Doesn't care how many people dunk on him. Doesn't care how many posters he's on. He's going to keep doing his thing. And Marcus Morris, he's struggled. He's going to have to be much, much, much better in this series. To me, he's the X factor, and we're going to see what Sherrod thinks of that as well. Baines offered his thoughts on playing the Cavs, and they went about as you would expect. We know where the head of the snake is, and we know what we have to focus on, but he's got a lot of great um, role players around him and some other guys that can really create out there as well. So it's about playing five guys within our system, sticking to it, and if we do that with the right intensity, then we're going to be in a good spot. Now, the key words there were role players. LeBron has dominated the Celtics in his playoff career, especially recently. And this year, he is averaging 34-9-9. He's shooting 55%. He's just, he's taken his game to another level this year and even more so this postseason. He's playing out of his freaking mind. Out of his mind. And he's the all-time leading scorer in terms of total points against the Celtics among any player in NBA history. Not Will Chamberlain, not Jerry West, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's LeBron. It's always LeBron. There's Kevin Love. He had a great series against the Raptors. There's Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, George Hill. They've contributed. Jeff Green. He's playing tough, believe it or not. I still can't wrap my head around that. They're getting nothing out of Rodney Hood. For the most part, save for Love, to me, he's still all-star Kevin Love. These guys are role players. Celtics are a team of role players, but they know their roles so well. So well so well let's talk more about the celtics let's welcome in a sherrod blakely nbc sports boston covers the seas and the rest of the nba sherrod sees Cavs, eastern conference finals again but it's remarkable it feels almost on both sides we're even having this conversation yeah i mean when you look from the celtic standpoint you know the fact that they had to really kind of reconfigure you know their roster with so many different injuries the key players uh mind you uh, to, for them to still be where they essentially thought they were going to be at this point in the season and as in the conference finals. It's pretty amazing. And when you look over on the other side of the ledger, you look at the Cavaliers and the fact that LeBron James is actually he's playing with his second team this year. When you look <laughs> back at the major uh, roster changes that they went through you know, prior to the trade deadline, uh, the fact that they you know, kind of had their ups and downs there during the regular season, but obviously they have found their strides in the playoffs. And, and you've got, I think, a very – very good series between two teams that have gone through quite a bit to get here, and I think that's going to even add more uh, to this series as we go forward. Well, and we'll get to predictions and things like that, but uh, as I heard in a song once, you never know where you're going to, you know where you've been. So I, I wouldn't say the Celts necessarily had their way with the Sixers, but it certainly wasn't a close series. They dispatched Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and the rest in five. What can they take from that series into this one? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, is confidence, the, the ability that they can go onto another team's floor and come away with a victory. That was the one thing that eluded them in that Milwaukee series, which went seven games. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, you know, a more talented team than Milwaukee, but maybe not quite as poised 
a team as you would expect to see in the second round of the playoffs. And the Celtics, to their credit, made the most of that. When you look at the games that Boston won that were relatively close, you know, those games came down to late game, fourth quarter execution. And the Celtics were clearly the better team in that regard, getting contributions at both ends of the floor from the, the Al Horfers, the Marcus Smarts, Jalen Brown, and of course, you know, Jason Tatum. Uh, the Celtics have, have proven that they can win uh, in a multitude of ways. And, you know, location, at least in the Philadelphia series, it wasn't as big a factor as I, I think it, it can be. You know, with Giannis Antetokounmpo in round one or Simmons in the conference semis, I mean, these are two guys that thrive in transition. So did that help them in any way prepare for a matchup with LeBron? It did. I mean, the one thing that, you know, when you look back at those two series, the Celtics, they were willing to uh, make sure that they were back defensively and so they're not giving up you know, points in transition. But the downside of that was they really got just clobbered on the offensive glass. And that they have to find, I think, against Cleveland a better uh, happy medium along those lines because, you know, you can't keep giving, you know, LeBron James opportunity after opportunity to run that offense, even in the half-court setting, against your, your elite defense, uh, chances to score. So the, the Celtics, I, I think they have to do a better job on the, the, on the defensive glass in this series against Cleveland if they're going to have a shot at winning it. Cavs survived the Pacers in seven, looked like they very realistically could have gotten knocked off, and then turned it up. I mean, they swept the Raptors. Now, you could say on one hand Toronto just wilts against LeBron and Cleveland, and that seems to happen annually. But at the same time, LeBron has taken his game to another level. Kevin Love, he had a great series versus a relatively quiet one against Indiana. How can the Celts hope to win this series? What are the keys? But I think there are a couple different ones. I think the Al Horford-Kevin Love matchup is, to me, one to watch. Uh, I, I thought that Kevin Love absolutely, completely outplayed Al Horford in every sense of the word last season, and that just can't happen if the Celtics are going to have any shot at winning. Uh, Terry Rozier, I think he's going to be a, a difference maker in this series. His ability to not only score, and we talk a lot about his, his scoring, but you look at his playmaking. He's been one of the top assist-to-turnover guys in the postseason, uh, and he'll have to continue along those lanes. And there has to be an X factor for the Celtics, someone that we're not talking a ton about who comes on out of nowhere and really elevates their play. And I think that guy has to be Marcus Morris. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to draw the assignment of defending LeBron James, and that is a tough assignment. But the one thing about him, when the Celtics made the trade for him, uh, one of the reasons they were comfortable doing that and giving up a guy like Avery Bradley was because you were getting a bigger uh which you believe was an elite defender in Marcus Morris who had success against LeBron James. And the last time they played Cleveland, in just looking at the numbers, LeBron was 4-for-11 shooting when he was being guarded by Marcus Morris, which, you know, that's not going to – that's by no means him locking him down. But relatively speaking, if you can hold LeBron James to less than 50% shooting when you're guarding him, you have a tremendous shot at beating Cleveland. And so I think his ability to defend LeBron James and – at the other end of the floor and just knocking down open shots. Those are two very key factors in, in what he's going to be able to contribute to this series. Well, and you know, it's that old Sports Center line, whichever anchor it was. You, know, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Obviously, the, the Celtics were willing to let Giannis kind of do his thing, let Embiid do his thing. And I'm sure they're, to a certain degree, going to be willing to let LeBron do his thing so long as, like you said, Horford stepping up against Love and others are are getting shut down. They defend the perimeter well against guys like Kyle Korver. But with regard to attempting to, I guess, slow down LeBron James, I mean, is Morris going to be 
the primary guy, or are we just going to see a little bit of everyone, Jalen Brown, maybe Horford, dust off Shemi Ojale again like we saw in round one? What's what's the approach? I, I, it has to be a multi, multi-faceted approach. I think you're going to see Marcus Morris on LeBron quite a bit. In fact, I, I would not be surprised if Marcus Morris is in the starting lineup, for example, in place of Aaron Baines. Mm. Uh, it would make sense in this series, and, and Brad has, has, you know, he's shown no hesitation in making that type of change. We saw it in the Milwaukee series with Shimmy Ojale, uh in the starting lineup, primarily to slow down Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, and as you pointed out earlier, guys like that, you're just not going to shut down. But if you have guys that can at least slow them down or at a minimum make them work harder for their, their scoring opportunities than they normally would, that's what you want. Because uh, the thinking is that over time, those guys will wear down. They won't be as fresh or as impactful in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's a great theory that applies, I think, to a lot of NBA players. LeBron James, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> well, especially with the way this series is spread out. You know, you got game one Sunday and then Tuesday, and then a, a full couple days off. The series doesn't resume until a few days later. That has to help guys like LeBron, especially with all the minutes he's already got on his belt this year. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, you know, it's, it really does, you know, when you hear people talk about the playoffs, it is about the stars, not only because of their talent, but also because of the spacing of the games. Uh, if you're, you're a superstar playing, you're playing on the north side of 40 minutes, and then you've got a, a two-day gap in between, let's say, games two and three, which is what we have now, that is absolutely critical for your ability to bounce back in that next game. Uh, and, and, and LeBron James, you know, he's been consistently, you know, one of those guys who does take care of his body uh, in between games, during season, out of season, and things of that nature. And so certainly the, the, the scheduling gods have done him a solid by giving him that extra day in between games two and three. Yeah, hop in that cryo chamber, drink a glass of wine, do whatever the hell that he does. But uh, you mentioned Al Horford before, and, and we know how important he is defensively. I mean, five freaking steals in that last game against the Sixers. He's been playing out of his mind, but we've seen, as much as the offense runs through Al, we've seen some inconsistencies with regard to just how aggressive he is in terms of getting his shot. Like he had the one game a couple of games ago where he only took six shots versus in that last game against the Sixers, I think he took seven by the midpoint of the second quarter. Do we need to see a more aggressive Al Horford in every game of this series? I think you have to, but I don't think it's necessarily going to reflect in uh, shot attempts. I think with Al Horford, you have to look at his shot attempts and assists. To me, those are the two categories I look at. Like if Al Horford only takes two or three shots, but he's got five or six assists, Mm. that's Al being aggressive, Uh, even though the numbers may not necessarily suggest that from a a scoring standpoint. He has to put his imprint on the game either as a scorer or a passer. And as a scorer, you know, it's more on him. Uh, and, and Al has always been just a, more of a team guy as opposed to a me guy. Uh, but his teammates, if he's drawing attention and his teammates are getting open and he's getting them good looks at their basket, they have to knock those down. Uh, the Terry Rogers, Marcus Morris, Jalen Browns, Tatum, those guys have to really take advantage of those moments when Al Horford is drawing attention from, from the defense and is giving them great looks at the rim. Because if, that, if they're knocking those shots down, that's going to loosen things up for Al to be more effective, you know, as, as far as the score. But the bottom line is his imprint has to be on this this series if they have any shot at winning. Since you talked about Rozier, and we'll go one by one with a lot of these different guys as we already have, but he obviously struggled on the road this postseason so far. But he's also from Ohio, and maybe that's just me wanting to kind of take a little walk down narrative street, but should we expect a different story this round? 
I think for him, he's got to be Scary Terry. He yeah. has to be the, you know, the, the guy that puts fear, you know, in the hearts and minds of his opponents with his ability to score and get others involved and impact the game uh, with timely buckets or steals and things of that nature. He's got to do that. And the location, I don't think that's going to be as, as big a factor in this series. I mean, Terry, if anything, it'll be a benefit to him because he'll feel more comfortable. Uh, more at home, and as we've seen in, in this, this postseason run by the Celtics, Terry Rozier is a significantly better player uh, when he is playing in front of his fans, when he's playing in front of people who have his back, than he is when, when not. I mean, in this series, or excuse me, in this postseason run, his best road game uh, was probably game four, uh, where I thought he, he made some shots, he did some things uh, that we just hadn't seen in, in previous road games, and certainly that was a good positive sign. Uh, for him going forward. But at the end of the day, uh, he too has to be uh, playing at an elite level uh, in terms of scoring the ball, getting guys involved, and and just making timely plays. So Jason Tatum, 20-plus points, seven straight games. You know, it seems like a different either Celtics record or NBA rookie record or whatever, virtually every single game. Can he keep this up? I mean, will, will he ever be overcome by the moment at all? I don't think he'll be overcome by the moment, but I do worry about him being overcome by LeBron James. <laughs> uh, LeBron has this ability to really ratchet his game up from a defensive standpoint when he needs to. And this season, I, you know, when you look at his numbers from a defensive standpoint, they really aren't as impressive as we've seen in past years. And just from an eye test, LeBron James hasn't, I think, defended at an elite level uh, consistently enough to where, where we're accustomed to seeing but this is, in, this is the Eastern Conference Finals, and there's one guy that the Celtics have shown has the ability to carry them for long stretches offensively and has been a, mat- a matchup problem for most opponents. Do not be surprised to see LeBron James out there on you know, Jason Tatum, and I'm going to be very curious to see how Tatum attacks that because we, we've all seen the, you know, the, the, the social media photos where yep. uh, Tatum was a kid asking LeBron for a follow back, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's kind of funny how, you know, life, you know, winds itself up and around where now you're trying to send the guy that clearly you had a lot of admiration for, uh, you're trying to send him home for the summer. Uh, and, and so I'm hoping that Tatum, that, that dynamic is what worries me more about Tatum. Not so much, not so much the moment, but just, that relationship with LeBron James and whether he can still be aggressive, still be assertive, do the things that have gotten the Celtics to where they are now against a guy that clearly, you know, he has a lot of admiration for. Big picture, thinking beyond this series, this postseason, even next year. I mean, because he's only 20 years old. What's Tatum's ceiling? I mean, what well, has that, he shown you? Well, that's, I think that's the scary part about Tatum. I don't think he has a ceiling at this point. I mean, you, you are, we're talking about a 20-year-old, 6'9", wing player who can clearly create his own shot can catch and shoot has the kind of length that you want from a a guy that that can can defend at a fairly high level in fact his defense was what got him to the starting lineup not his scoring and he's 20 years old and he's he's under the tutelage of, of one of the best head coaches in the nba and brad stevens and so there's so much to like about his game now and and there's so much potential for him to be better uh, I look for his body to transform itself in the coming years where he'll be bigger, stronger, uh, and that strength will certainly be another asset for him uh, going forward. But at the end of the day, this kid is going to be a star. Uh, he's already shown his ability to elevate his play in the most critical moments of the season, which is the playoffs. 
and he has done it without showing any signs of fear, concern, or trepidation that you normally expect to see from a rookie. He is a special player. There's no doubt about that. Year to year, we always like to talk about who is or isn't or what is or isn't untouchable for Danny Ainge. We know it's a very short list. He has proven that over the years. I mean, I would have thought that that last Nets pick was untouchable. Clearly, though, you saw that move and bring in Kyrie Irving. And you could, I would have made the case last year, Al Horford untouchable because he was the first big free agent. He was only one year in, but now he's a couple of years in. It's, I don't think it's likely, but it's possible Danny Ainge could move him in some sort of swap to upgrade and use that contract. There's only one guy who to me is definitely unequivocally without a doubt untouchable right now. And that's Gordon Hayward, because obviously he signed as a free agent, got hurt immediately they're not just going to up and deal him. Short of that, and maybe you disagree with that, but short of that, is Jason Tatum untouchable? I think he is as close to being untouchable as anyone on his roster, simply because of his potential, uh, his talent, proven talent this year in the playoffs, and just the fact that when you look at the NBA going forward, you're going to need players like Jason Tatum if you seriously want to be uh, a title contender. He has that it factor. Uh, it, it goes beyond the stats. It goes beyond the eye test. It's just that that undeniable it factor that leads you to believe that this guy, when we need an at, when we need a bucket, or we need a steal, or we need a block, or we need we need some type of impactful play in the, in the latter stages of a close knockdown, drag it out type playoff game. More likely than not, he's going to deliver, and and, and that. Uh, is, is what makes him, I, I think, the guy that Danny Ainge would be extremely hesitant to pass on. I mean, to be to be candid, there's only one guy in the NBA that I would even consider putting a deal together to get, and that's Anthony Davis. Who's not uh, going I, anywhere. Exactly, exactly. And if there were any doubts about that, this playoff run by the Pelicans proved that yeah. there's no reason for him to want to go anywhere. So a short of Anthony Davis, I just don't see anyone out there that's worth trading away Jason Tatum for. Yeah, I think one other guy who's maybe approaching that territory, he's not quite there yet, obviously, Jalen Brown. Another guy who's really coming into his own. He's 21. He can do it on both sides of the ball. Looking more at this specific run, he had a great clincher against the Sixers, but has his health right now? It's getting better. Uh, but obviously, a couple extra days would have done him a just tremendous good uh, with that right hamstring. And I think he jammed his thumb, I think, at some point in, in game uh, game five or four as well. But but Jalen, he's a trooper. I mean, I, I think one of, the, one of the things that has jumped out about Jalen, and there really hasn't been a lot of talk about it, but it's undeniable, and that's his mental toughness. Mm. I mean, most guys, when they have some type of hamstring-related injury, are more cautious than, than usual because they know that, that that could be a potential career ender if you screw that thing up, if you make the wrong decision about that. But Jalen was pushing to get on the damn floor from the very <laughs> outset, even when it was clear that he wasn't himself. That is very rare in this day and age of the NBA where guys are more concerned about their image and brand and, and longevity than they are about winning this next game. Uh, so Jalen is a special dude in that regard. And, and you know, like you mentioned earlier, I, I think he is also trending very close to being untradeable because of intangible things like I just mentioned. So Brown is undeniably important to this series in a variety of ways, but I, I wonder, and you tell me what you think, is he more important for his offense, and we know what he can do there, or is it his defense given the matchup on the other side? 
I think you're going to need his offense more than his defense. And then I say that because you have Marcus Morris. And Morris, his role is going to be – his value is going to be more for his defense than his offense. And so there has to be a balance between the two. And I think Jalen Brown is going to have more opportunities to score – uh, at a high level in this series than I think Marcus Morris will. Because Morris, in all likelihood, when he's on offense, is probably going to be matched up against LeBron James. And even though I think LeBron James has taken a step back defensively, he's still a very good defender. And, and so I don't think Marcus Morris is going to get a lot of great offensive opportunities. And conversely, if if he's occupying Morris, Jalen's going to have one of those other uh, guys on the on the Cavaliers defending him, and I, I just don't think any of those guys can guard him and Tatum. Uh, one of those two guys is going to have a mismatch, and the Celtics have done a really good job, I think, of finding the biggest mismatch, working that, and, and just going from there. When it comes to depth, rotation, just the balance for Brad Stevens out there and the options that he has, how much does the loss of Shane Larkin hurt now that we know he's week-to-week week and, and maybe going to miss this whole series? Yeah, I, I, I talked to Shane the other other day, and, and you know he, he's trying to you know keep an uh, optimistic outlook about this, but it just doesn't look good. Uh, it, it doesn't look good for him to come back in this series. If they get to the NBA Finals, then maybe he there's a chance he could be back, but I, I don't anticipate seeing him at all in this Cleveland series, which is too bad because he was the guy that they could go to and could help change the game in ways that maybe didn't reflect on the stat sheet. I mean, when you look back at the Sixers series, and if you look at the, the scoring of J.J. Redick and how it seemed to progressively go down as the series went on, or at least the shooting uh, numbers went down, Shane Larkin it was, was part of that. Shane's ability to chase him off of screens, to give him little to no airspace when he likes to catch and shoot. Little things like that that don't necessarily show, or I should say are attributed to him in a stat sheet, the Celtics realize when they go back and watch film, and even when they see it live and up close, he's helping them in, in ways that they just that don't always reflect uh, statistically. And not having him around, you know, I wouldn't say it's a devastating loss, but it is a loss. And when you're talking about this point in the postseason, you need all hands on deck. And when, you, when you're not uh, able to have a guy that has contributed to your success available, uh, it's a blow. Uh, but the Celtics, as players have said repeatedly since Larkin's injury, they're used to this. They've been down this road before. That's why as much as they want Shane out there, they know that this is just another opportunity for one of their guys to step up. Uh, and for the most part, that's how they've been able to be successful this season, guys elevating their play when another guy goes down. We know the guys who can rise to the occasion offensively in the series. We've already talked about them all individually, but – Looking at the Cavs, I mean, they're not good defensively. So what does that mean for Boston's balance? Do, do you expect kind of a, a similar showing to what we saw against the Bucks, where you've got a handful of guys that are all averaging at least like 15 points? I do. I, I think balance is the key for the Celtics because they don't have a Kyrie Irving or a Gordon Hayward available, a guy that you, that you can pencil in for like 20 points every night on their roster. But Jalen Brown can hit you for 20 one night. Uh, Tatum can obviously do it. He's been doing it the last seven games Al Horford has that potential Marcus Morris he too has that potential and and that's really what has made them a team that has been able to weather the storms of you know losing key guys and still be successful they have the versatility and balance and diversity in their roster to where scoring isn't necessarily going to come from one or two guys it's going to come from whatever they deem as the best matchup and I think the Celtics are going to have a couple different options they can turn to as matchups that they can exploit and force the Cavaliers to make adjustments. And, and when you get into that whole adjustments game, and 
you're the team that's forcing the adjustments to be made. Uh, that can only help you and your chances of going, uh, you know, as deep into this series as possible, and and hopefully emerging as the victor. More Celtics beat coming up in just a second, but I want to tell you today's show is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and elegant fabrics. They were sick and tired of walking into department stores and trying to buy socks, underwear, undershirts, not getting nearly consistent results. So they started their own company. Mack Weldon products will be the most comfortable you try on. They believe that so much that if you order your first pair of underwear, you don't like it, Mack Weldon will refund your money. But you can keep the underwear, really. They don't want that back. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. For me, I've spent so much time on this website, not only looking at the socks, the underwear, the undershirts, but the sleep pants, the outerwear, the backpacks. I I tell you all the time about the backpack that has the smartphone charger built into it. I love that thing. I absolutely love the idea of being able to charge my phone on the go without actually having to be plugged into a wall. Mack Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now. So what are you waiting for? Log on to MacWeldon.com today. Use my promo code CLNS for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 20% off your first order on MacWeldon.com just by entering my promo code CLNS. All right, back to the show. Sherrod, LeBron's number one in virtually every facet of the words, but who's the second best or perhaps second most important player in this series after LeBron in, in you know on either team? I would go with Al Horford um, because, again, I think so much of what the Celtics do uh, kind of filters through Al Horford, whether it's his ability as a defender to just guard multiple guys from, you know, from point guards all the way up to power fourth and fives. Uh, that's huge. And, and also his ability to, to score. You know, when you look back at that clincher and the score was tied at 94 and, and Brad called a timeout right out of the timeout, went to Al, got him a bucket. Next possession, went to Al, got him another bucket. Then they created a turnover. Easy layer for Terry Rozier. Next thing you know, you're up six, you know, and, and Philly's calling a timeout. And clearly the game's momentum has shifted in your favor. And Al Horford was the catalyst of that. He has that potential, uh, and he's going to have to show it on a more consistent basis in this series than we saw in the regular season. But to his credit, in the playoffs, he has been, I think, as consistent with his overall play as we've seen in any, like, 10-15 game stretch uh, before. What advantages do you think the Celtics have over the Cavaliers in this series? I think they're deeper. Uh, I, I think they have more guys that can impact the game at both ends of the floor. Uh, I think they have guys that, from a mental toughness standpoint, I think that's really going to help them. Cleveland has a, has a few guys from that championship team a couple years ago, and those guys are battle-tested. But when you look at their rotation and you've got the you know the Jordan Clarksons of the world, the Rodney Hoods of the world, guys that, you know, Larry Nance, guys that have been, you know, helpful to them being where they are, but guys who really haven't been in the deep, deep, deep waters of postseason uh, play, that is going to benefit, I think, the Celtics. Because, again, the, the Celtics come into this thing with a no-fear mentality. I mean, and, and to be honest with you, I think they're the only team – from the Eastern Conference that has no fear of Cleveland uh, and LeBron James. And and as much as that may not necessarily translate in statistics, I think having that mindset is huge when you're trying to pull off uh, what would be one of the biggest upsets certainly uh, in, in the postseason this year. So I know there haven't been any formal media sessions, but you're around, so maybe you've just kind of seen Kyrie Irving in passing. I mean, is he, is he moping that he can't play in this series? This has to be killing him. Well, I think publicly he's he's not. You know, he's he's not going to do that. But you got to 
you know, the one thing about Kyrie that I think a lot of us are, we don't really have a true sense of, but just talking with, with people who are close to him and just watching him through the years, he's competitive as all hell. Um, he, he is a competitor. He wants to win. He wants to be out there. And I, there's certainly a part of him that is just dying inside, not being able <laughs> to be a part of the one series that I think he would absolutely love to be a part of. And not necessarily to just, you know, just take a, you know, one last dig at Cleveland, but to get his team over the hump and get them back to the NBA Finals, because that that is really what the goal has been for this team, to find a way to position yourself to compete for the, for the biggest prize of them all, which is the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And getting to the Finals is the only way that can happen. And for them to right now be four wins away from making that happen, you better believe Kyrie wants to, would love to be a part of that. Um, so, yeah, there's, a, there's no question there's a, there's a side of him that is absolutely rotting away just knowing that he can't be he just can't be out there with his guys what's your prediction how different is this series going to be compared to last year i think it's going to be very different because again i think the celtics are a deeper team uh, than they were last year i think they have more versatility at both ends of the floor uh, i think the team that lebron james is going to the, going to war with now is the weakest team that he's brought to this point in the playoffs and in, in, in his career uh, and, and again, LeBron, he's had a couple of, of really, you know, kind of head scratching teams uh, that you just think, you think, how in the world did they get here? Um, <laughs> but this one is probably the worst of the bunch. And, and again, it's no disrespect to this team. It's just that LeBron James, when he gets to this point, he usually has a pretty well oiled machine of talent around him. And I, I give Kevin Love and those guys credit. They've stepped their play up the last couple of games, but the playoffs as a whole, uh, this, this hasn't been a very good group. Um, I think the Celtics will win this thing in seven. I think home court advantage is going to be the difference in this thing. I think Boston is going to get one in Cleveland. I think Cleveland is going to get one in Boston. But ultimately, that game seven in Boston, that's going to be the, that's going to be the game. So no Kyrie Irving, no Gordon Hayward, no you know other peripheral guys like a Daniel Tyson. Yet still into the NBA Finals just for the right to get well probably thumped by the Warriors. Absolutely. <laughs> And, 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 that, and the thing about the Celtics, I mean, they have been – this has been just one of the more bizarre postseasons I've ever seen. I, I've never seen a team that was a higher seed that went into every single round as an underdog, uh, which has been the case of the Celtics. And they feed off that. They've been feeding off that, that vibe all season long. And, uh, you know, as talented as LeBron James is, I just, at some point his reign of, of, of dominance is going to end, and I think it's this year. Well, and as we know, a lot of their success, whether it ends in, in this round or just the fact they've gotten this far in the first place, comes back to Brad Stevens, who is certainly going to be, I'd be shocked if he's not anyway, a top three vote-getter in the official NBA Coach of the Year vote. But that's by the media. His peers, as you well know, did not give him a single vote in their NBCA, whatever the hell, Coach of the Year vote. Now, they only get one. It's not a ranking, so most went to Dwayne Casey, and that's no great shock. But there were also seven or eight other guys that received at least one vote. Brad Stevens did not get one, despite everything he had to overcome with this roster. How much of that is pettiness, jealousy, tired of hearing about the Golden Boy, among other coaches, or is it something else? Well, I think that there are a couple things. I think first and, and, and foremost, um, it's just wrong. Let's just get that out the way. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no way that you can look at his body of work this year and tell me or anyone else who's watched NBA basketball that there are eight other coaches that did a better job with their respective teams 
this season than Brad Stevens. So that, that let's just get that out of the way right away. I, I think the bigger issue in all of this, and, and, and Kyle Draper and I, we were talking about this on our Celtics Talk podcast. Um, the bigger issue, I think, is that there is a country club mentality in the coaching ranks. And Brad Stevens, you know, he did not come into this the way most coaches uh, did. I mean, he didn't spend time as a player. He didn't spend, you know, decades as an assistant coach mm-hmm. in the NBA hoping to get that, that opportunity. He came from the college ranks. And, you know, when you do that, there's a bit of skepticism from the very outset that maybe you're in over your head. Uh, you talk to some of the players that, that Brad has had through the years, and there was some concern about that early on. And it was before Brad, they had giving Brad a chance to prove himself. So that a lot of that was just based on assumptions rather than anything actual. Once they got in there with Brad, and I remember Evan Turner used to tell me this story all the time. You know, one of the first games they had, you know, Brad dropped his play in, in the huddle, and Evan and some of the other guys are looking around like, there's no way in hell this is going to work. <laughs> and they go out there, they execute the play, do exactly what he told them, and it worked. And so for them, it was more of a show and prove uh, thing with Brad. And, and since then, you know, you Brad has clearly shown his ability to be an elite coach. Uh, when you've got guys in uh, – ex-players were coming to your defense, you know, talking about how great a coach you are. I think that speaks volumes about how good Brad is. Uh, but, again, he did not come through the country club pathway to coaching in the NBA. And I think there is some resistance and, and, and some kind of, you know, qu- you know, stealth hate going on there uh, that he's just not one of us. He didn't do it the way we did it. And the way our guys did it is, is the way it should be done. Uh, whereas the media, you know, we, we tend to look at this like, well, let's just look at the body of work. Mm-hmm. This is what he had to work with. Because, I mean, I, cause I had a vote in, in the Coach of the Year vote, and I voted for Brad. And to me, and I, I tell people this all the time, what sold me on him more than anything else was that last West Coast trip where they had absolutely no business winning one, maybe two games would, would, be, would have been a huge success. They won all four. And for him to have the, the adversity, basketball adversity that he had been dealing with, with injuries and illnesses and all that, to go in and beat teams that were desperate to win games just to get to the playoffs in their building, uh, that to me was what sold me on him as a coach of the year because that's special. You don't just go into a, a, a hungry team that's trying to get to the playoffs and beat them when you have already have your spot secure and you have a roster that you're presenting that isn't complete or near complete. So, um, again, to me, it's a head-scratcher that out of 29 coaches, not one of those coaches thought Brad Stevens uh, had a Coach of the Year-worthy season. Yeah, it's stupid. It is really what it is. Last thing for you, Sherrod, a guy who uh, certainly will speak highly of Brad Stevens at every turn. Hopefully he's not a former Stevens player in the coming months. But Marcus Smart, with all that we love him, we know – uh, all the things that he does, all the hashtag winning plays and that great stuff. But do you expect him back with this team next year? Do you think ultimately when push comes to shove, knowing which teams out there may or may not have money, that, that Danny Ainge is going to ante up what he has to to bring him back? It's going to all come down to his, his value in the market. And Marcus, I will say this, he has done more to help his value, I'd say, the last month. Uh, and, and and is making it. I think it's going to make it very difficult for Brad and Danny to to have him back next year. Uh, again, winning plays. I mean that that is what he is about. Do not expect him to be a forty forty five percent shooter from the field. That's just not who he is. Uh, he is an elite defender. He's a gritty defender uh, who does not mind starting coming off the bench. Just give him a chance to play, and he's going to earn his keep. 
Uh, you'd love to keep him around. But when you look at where he's at, you look at what the options are likely that he'll get, uh, and then you look at the emergence of Terry Rozier. Uh, it gives you, if you're the Celtics, you don't want to lose Marcus, but if you do, you, you have a roster that's still able to compete at an elite level, even in his absence. Well, A. Sherrod Blakely thinks we got another month of Celtics basketball, and I hope he's right. Sherrod, thanks a lot, man. No problem. Take it easy, Adam. All right, well, let's get the Cleveland perspective of things. Welcome in Dave McMenamin, covers the Cavaliers and the rest of the NBA for ESPN. And, uh, Dave, we got the rematch. Two very different teams, though, from what we saw this time last spring. Yeah, and, and how about the offseason these two teams had with one another? Uh, factoring into this series, but maybe not so much. You, you know, you thought if these two teams would be playing in the playoffs, you would see Isaiah Thomas versus Kyrie Irving. Uh, Jay Crowder out there on the court. Uh, but, of course, those pieces will not be involved in what figures to be a very competitive series. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, that was definitely what everybody was drawn up and hoping for, for ratings and everything else. I'm sure it bought, uh, the weird thing, too, is that everybody's hurt, not Crowder. Obviously, he's, you know, off off elsewhere. But how much do you think it's it's got to be killing Kyrie Irving to not be part of this right now? Oh, absolutely. And there's so many what-ifs here. I mean, obviously Cavs fans spent half a season, uh, you know, wringing their hands over the what-if game had the Cavs not listened to Kyrie Irving's trade request and acquiesced and moved him uh, during the Cavs' regular season struggles. But in a way, you look at what the Cavs did and uh, let's say they held on to Kyrie and, and the same thing happened with his knee. Um, or let's say they held on to Isaiah Thomas and the same thing happened with his hip. Um, they don't have a point guard the caliber of George Hill leading them into the conference finals. So um, in a way, maybe it worked out for the Cavs. Uh, it, it's harder to say it, it worked out in the short term as well for the Celtics because you know Kyrie is so good, but maybe they never see what type of player Terry Rozier is in big time playoff moments uh, had that not happened either so uh, maybe for the long term in both teams uh, it'll be something that works out this is obviously more of a bigger picture question but since you brought it up I mean do you think the Cavs are in a better spot they're better off having done everything they did going back to the Irving trade or would they be better served to have not acquiesced to have kept Irving in the first place and tried to figure that out I mean I, I just know that you know, the two of the most important people on the Cavs and, and Teron Liu and LeBron James were both against the trade. Um, and I don't think, you know, if, if the results, if, if the Cavs somehow magically win the championship this year, uh, despite trading away an MVP candidate like Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, maybe that changes people's minds. But talent kind of trumps all in this league. And, you know, both those guys, Ty and LeBron, felt like the Cavs didn't get enough talent back uh, to trade a guy like Kyrie Irving, and, and that that doesn't really change. Um, so uh, it, it's hard it's hard to think that uh, it came out better for the Cavs. Um, they, you know, I my opinion kind of is in line with the those of the the guys who have the most importance to that team. Well, and from a talent perspective, like you said, that's a no-brainer. It goes without saying. But on a personal level, what we keep hearing from reports, certainly not out of anyone's mouths that are really close to the situation, like a Kyrie Irving or LeBron James, it's that Kyrie didn't want to 
be in LeBron's shadow anymore. He wanted to be the man elsewhere. He didn't want to be with LeBron, regardless of what he says about their relationship being okay publicly. You hear all these back-channel things about how he just he was done. He wanted to get away from it. Do you buy into that? Is there truth to that, having uh, you know covered him out there? Well, I mean, certainly. I mean, I was involved in, I think, the first story. Um, uh, my, myself, Ramona Shelburne, and Brian Windhorst back mm-hmm. last July wrote a story where we said, you know, we quoted a, a source saying Kyrie was tired of being the Robin to LeBron's Batman. Um, I do believe that's true, I, I, but I also believe that he had two more years on his contract, um, and he's a competitor. Uh, had the Cavs not traded him, would he sat all, all year? I mean, he probably would have got that knee procedure that um, he threatened to do, as Joe Varden, Cleveland.com, first reported. I, I had reported last summer that, he had already threatened not to show up to training camp had they not traded him. Um, that That's fine, though. But, like, say he did get his knee procedure, then he was healthy by January. What what was going to happen then? He's just going to keep sitting out? I mean, is he going to become, hmm. you know, a, a Jamal Tinsley? Like, I, I that scenario never really made sense to me. Um, so, most likely, he'd be playing for the Cavs right now. And, again, they'd be more talented. Um, but... You know, you can't go back and put the toothpaste back into the tube. And, um, you know, the Cavs have figured out a way to be successful with what they got, uh, just have uh, the Boston Celtics have. What is the, before we get specifically to this series, what's the overall vibe and atmosphere there now? You know, obviously the we can discuss some of what happened during the season, but having gotten past the Pacers, dominated the Raptors, and maybe that's more about Toronto than it even is about Cleveland. But you have the Rodney Hood situation, clearly, and just the fact that, you know, LeBron is, you know, takes these matchups with the Celtics so personally. Well, I mean, if the vibe is, if we're talking about, like, the fans of Cleveland, I think they've finally embraced this team for what it is versus what it isn't compared to the last three final teams and certainly the championship team. And that I think has made this champ, this playoff run uh, stick a little bit. You know, this is going to be a memorable run for Cavs fans, no matter what happens in the conference finals and the finals be by the nature of the, the fact that this team improved over the two rounds thus far uh, they go from two guys in double figures against the Pacers and LeBron and, and Kevin Love and Kevin Love really averaged basically half his regular season average about 11 points per game um, he struggled that series and then they go six guys in double figures against the Raptors with LeBron playing just as well um, and and then just LeBron's playoff run in general I mean game two against Indiana first 16 straight points for the Cavs to start the game Game five, buzzer beating, uh, buzzer beater to win the game on the home court. You fast forward to the Toronto series. The Cavs make a 14 point comeback in game one to win overtime. Um, LeBron has a triple double that game. Of course, uh, the game winner uh, in game three. Um, so th- there's just been so many moments that, that fans can latch on to and um, just embrace this team for what they've been able to do in the last I guess a month now since the playoffs began and kind of forget about all the other drama uh, that the team's gone through even the Rodney Hood thing um, while it played nationally and, and certainly got a degree of attention in Cleveland um, 
it blew over relatively quickly. I mean, of course, the Cavs will reconvene and have media availability uh, Thursday, um, and there'll be questions. Rodney Hood, I imagine, will be available to the press, and there'll there'll be a follow up to that story. But um, compared to all the other things the team's been through, from Derek Rose's exile to the midseason meeting where guys are sniping at one another in January to all the trades to even J.R. Smith getting into it with Damon Jones um, with a bowl of soup. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the Rodney Hood thing uh, registers too high on, on that, that Richter scale. Well, and all of that stuff in mind, too, you know, there are a lot of people, as you well know, across the country and certainly here in Boston that just didn't expect the Cavaliers to reach this point. There was just there was way too much going on for all the reasons that you just mentioned. I never counted them out simply just because of the LeBron factor. LeBron is enough to get you past a team in a series, and we're seeing that throughout a couple of rounds for the most part. Were you always confident they'd figure it out, or did this look like the year that the run sort of would come to an end? Yeah, Adam, like, I, I don't really like making predictions because I think my skills are as a reporter, not a prognosticator, but hmm. it was hard for me. You know, they make a, the ESPN pick all the series. Yeah. I wasn't going to pick against LeBron. Like, I'd rather be the, the guy that had more faith in LeBron than I should have. Um, and so, I, mean, I, I I still wouldn't pick against this Cavs team until the finals. And and even in the finals, I think I'd only pick the Warriors. Uh, if they played the Rockets, I think I would pick the Cavs just based on the experience factor. Um, so, I, I think a lot of people underestimated LeBron um, during the regular season. Even though he was putting up crazy numbers, they didn't believe that the Cavs had enough um, around them. But there was, there seems to be a recurring fundamental lack of recognition with this Cavs team every year that they can't be judged the way other teams are uh, based on the regular season numbers. And that is because, it's not a cop-out, that's because their best player is trying to accomplish or is already accomplishing something that's unprecedented, making seven straight finals, trying to make an eighth. There's no player out there that manages his 12 months, 365 days a year and his body and his effort and his concern level uh, like LeBron does. And um, somehow the the general public seems to latch on to things like the Cavs defensive rating during the regular season. I think that's the true indicator of what this team's about, um, almost on an annual basis. And, and then LeBron goes out and, and has to smack it into everybody's heads again that, no, 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 I'm different, thus we are different in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it really doesn't make sense, and I'm, I'm with you. It's why, again, you just don't count out this guy. And what he's doing this playoff season so far. I mean, 34-9-9, and despite all of the regular season minutes that don't seem to have caught up with him. And I know your colleague there, Brian Windhorst, had the article about how much more that he is effectively walking out on the court and some of these different analytics and studies and, and so on. We don't really need to dive into all that. But just how is it that, that he is doing right now what he is doing in year 15? Because it's it's nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, I mean... If I had the answer to that, I could probably get a job on Brad Stevens' staff. <laughs> yeah, there you everybody. go. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I, I think the guy has tremendous will. Uh, he has no fear of any situation at this point, which uh, obviously helps him out on the court with his confidence. And, you know, 
teammates have said this and, and opponents, but he has taken the idea of body maintenance to a, a whole other stratosphere. And he's been doing that really. You know, I did a story, you know, how is he doing this in year 15? And, you know, uh, Mike Mancius, a longtime trainer, basically said that everything changed getting ready for the Beijing Olympics. And, and that's when he really started to take things serious with his body because before then he was just relying on his physical gifts. I mean, that's a decade in. <laughs> he was ahead of the curve. When he was in his early 20s, 23 years old, that's when he decided to start treating his body like a temple. Hmm. And now he continues to reap the benefits a decade later. How's this postseason stack up against his others? Not statistically, but what you're seeing in terms of the performance based on obviously what he has around him also. Is he at another level? Yeah, I, I believe so. Also, you add in the subtext of everyone and the mother are aware that he's going to likely opt out of his contract this summer to become a free agent. So every one of these games or every one of these home games could be, you know, the last one he plays in Cleveland or you know, the last of X amount of games he plays in Cleveland, which adds this kind of angst and a level of epicness uh, to what's going on thus far. Um, it, it's kind of an unlike any equation he's had before because it's not like you go back to his last year in Miami and you, and you thought he was going to be leaving. Um, it wasn't like um, even the first time he left Cleveland um, that, uh, you know, because the first time he left Cleveland, he didn't have all these, these great moments. You know, he had some, some games where it was what's going on out there. Um, he hasn't had a bad game yet. Um, and really, he's only had out of the I guess uh, 11 games they've played, he's probably had two like good games and then nine mm. great games. Um, so, you know, at least in, in the playoff runs that I've covered up close to personal the last four years, uh, this is his best one. One more quick break here on Celtics Beat to tell you today's episode brought to you by Hims. Hims is a brand new wellness brand for men. Guys, how many of you are scared of hair loss? I would guess a lot of you, considering 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Stop procrastinating. Stop turning to weird hair loss solutions. Hims is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. And the best part about Hims is they connect you with real doctors to treat your hair loss with actual medical-grade solutions. We're not talking about concoctions that you make at home. We're talking about prescription solutions backed by science. Just go to 4 right now. Sign up is easy. Just answer a few quick questions and a doctor will be assigned to you. Products ship directly to your door. You don't have to wait in line for hours. Let Hims come to you. And my listeners get a special trial month of Hims for just $5 today while supplies last. See website for full details. This costs you hundreds of dollars if you went to your local pharmacy. Who needs that? Use my promo code. Go to 4 slash CLNS. That's 4 slash CLNS. All right, back to the show. I was going to bring it up later, but since you beat me to it there, how do you – I know you don't like making predictions, but <laughs> how, how do you think all of this does play out with LeBron's future in Cleveland? I think, um, you know, sign and trade, he'll go to the Celtics. So, <laughs> obviously, like, you know, send back uh, Tatum and Brown, a whole bunch of guys yeah, the other yeah, way. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I, 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 you know. I've reported before, so it's not like I'd be coming off that. I mean, the, the, to my understanding, the team – that really have a a shot in terms of his interest would be Los Angeles Lakers and 
Philadelphia 76ers and uh, Houston Rockets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, I, I believe those are the teams with, with the, the greatest chance of, of landing him. Um, and I, I wouldn't handicap those, those four teams at this point. I, I will say, though, that the Lakers' plan would involve Paul George and the fact that Thunder lost in the first round the nature that they did. I would only think that would help mm-hmm. the possibility of freeing up Paul George to go to the Lakers and thus make that Lakers, um, you know, uh, scenario more realistic um, had, you know, Paul, the Thunder still be playing right now and Paul George, find, you know, kind of tapping into a level of basketball that maybe he hadn't experienced yet in his career. So, obviously, I don't know LeBron at all, let alone the way that you do. But, you know, those of us, as you well know, who, uh, you know, go and host shows, we like to prognosticate and pretend we know what we're talking about. And the (laughs) thing with LeBron with me, and you tell me if I'm wrong by all means, has always been, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to go to the Lakers, but the reason that I'm not as big a believer in that as compared to staying in Cleveland or even Philly or wherever in the Eastern Conference that might be a realistic option is that it just seems I don't know to what degree the LeBron versus Jordan argument debate you know I don't know how much he takes that personally but it seems like the only way to indisputably obviously shut people up is to leave no doubt is to pile up the rings as best he can and and I just don't think that with the Warriors continuing to do what they do and having the roster they have, going to the West is not the best way to chase Jordan's championship ghost, so to speak. And so I just don't see it as, as being that realistic that he does leave the East. Right. I mean, I, I think if you look at how maybe the Lakers roster stands now, you would say that, that that's logical. Um, because you'd say, oh, he's going to go play with you know, Lonzo Ball, Al Kuzma, Josh Hart. Um, well, even Paul George. even with Paul George, yeah, and, and and Ingram, right? And Ingram, like, is that enough, right? Or you know, they'll probably get rid of Julius Randle, make it happen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think there'd be more dominoes that would occur um, that we can't even see um, uh, from our, our seat right now. I think what you said makes makes sense and, and it's logic uh, logical, but I think there'd be more more tweaks in, uh, to a, a potential roster like that that we haven't seen yet. Um, of course, his standing in the game matters a ton to him. It's the reason he came back to Cleveland, really, um, because that even if he continued to pile on championships in Miami, that would kind of be that skeleton in his closet that he'd always be judged against, the nature that he left the Cavs in the first place and not being able to deliver to his hometown team. But, you know, they're uh, – you know, he, I don't think he's going to retire with six rings or more. I don't think I'm, you know, saying something that's so absurd um, to put it out out loud like that. He has three through fifteen years. I don't think he's going to play more than I, I really think like maybe eighteen, maybe twenty years max. I I think eighteen is more likely than twenty. So is he going to capture another three rings? I don't think so. Um, but he he could be. I I I just think if he can take a Cavs team and withstand all of the ups and downs of what the Cavs had this year and get them to the finals. And, and, and you, okay, yeah, you could say the East is weaker. And if he did the same thing with this team in the Western Conference, it maybe be the second round and out. That might be right. Um, but I'm not convinced that he wouldn't be able to do the same thing with a, a team in the West. 
uh, at least get into the conference finals. And really, if he gets into the conference finals, um, he doesn't get the stain on his record of taking a team to the finals that's ill-prepared, and people just point at him and say, well, now you're now you're 3-6 and six in the finals. Now you're 3-7 and seven in the finals, wherever it is. Um, that might be better for his legacy in a way. So plenty more LeBron stuff to talk about as it relates to this series, but the last sort of big-picture LeBron comment, my, uh, my fun little mean-nothing prediction that I've been hanging on for the last, I don't know, year or so has been that I don't think, as, even though he's, he's already been in the league 15 years and he's got all these miles on his belt and everything like that, I don't think LeBron's going to walk away, retire, until he's had an opportunity to play with his son. Do you think that's realistic? I mean, I've talked to him about that. Um, it's it's a thing he's acknowledged um, in other forms um, since. I don't think it's really realistic. I, I think I mean he had to play. I think twenty twenty one or twenty two seasons, depending on how the one and done rule changes in you know the next couple of years. Um, I, I, I think it's kind of a nice thing to think about. Pipe dream. Um, obviously, he's close to his son. He actually this year for the first time started training with his son. Um, you know, before that he tried to keep things at arm's length because he wanted his kid to be a kid. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of opening up the the toolbox, so to speak, and, and letting his, his son mess around with with the same drills that he used to, to get to the level he's at. Um, but that's just so much more basketball, um, and he's played so much that. I, I, you know, the, the passing Kareem and all-time scoring is not like a high list, high on his priority. Um, so unless he's in the perfect situation where it just makes sense, now he has a role to continue joining a championship caliber team, and, and he has teammates that can shoulder the load, and he doesn't feel like he has to play 82 games a year because the previous year when he sat out, the, his team went 0-8 without him. <laughs> um, um, I, I just think it would be – this this perfect set of circumstances and, and perfect doesn't really exist in the NBA. So I don't think that's going to happen. All right, well, let's get back to this series here. Brad Stevens, as uh, I think we would agree, one of the better coaches in the NBA. You can put him top three probably despite this ridiculous situation this week where he doesn't get a vote from any of his peers compared to some of those that did in the Coach of the Year award. But we'll find out how the media votes. Brad Stevens, though, has seen LeBron in the playoffs a couple of times already. It hasn't gone well, but being the tactician that he is and, and studying the game the way he does, do you think he's figured anything out? Do you think this series looks any different with the way that LeBron is defended by the Celtics? I mean, they have another capable wing in, uh, obviously, Tatum that they didn't have last year, but I don't think you'll see a ton of Tatum on him. Brown's a lot better, and, and that's got to help. And then you have Morris, and you have Smart, and those are stronger guys with a little bit of grit in them that would welcome a, a matchup like LeBron, but I think it's an accurate statement to say Brad Stevens is one of the better coaches in the league, best coaches in the league, but just to say that he all of a sudden is going to have the plan hmm. against LeBron when you know LeBron's 8-1 against him in the playoffs in money time the last three years, I, I, I just don't think that's going to be the way the Celtics are going to win um, by having some sort of series where LeBron's numbers look terrible. Um, I, I don't think that's the way the Celtics you're going to have a chance of winning. How do you think LeBron approaches this series in, in terms of who's who he's trying to lock down? Is uh, is his focus going to be Jason Tatum? Will it be somebody else? Will 
Um, but what, what, what's his mindset, do you think, going in? Well, you know, I, I think you look at who are really contributing for the Celtics right now, and it's, it's Tatum, Horford, and Revere, I guess. But Brown obviously has had his moments, too. I don't want to sell him short. Sure. But at least in terms of more consistent scores, the games I've watched, I think it's been more those three guys. None of those three guys would probably be LeBron's defensive assignment. Um, it probably will be Brown. And, and if Brown matches LeBron on the other end, the Cavs won't cross cross match, uh, in my opinion. LeBron has the benefit of a guy like J.R. Smith, who they make as the primary defender on the best wing scorer on the opposition in the playoffs. So last year you saw him against Paul George. This year you saw him against Victor Oladipo and DeMar DeRozan. You know, it, it could very well be that J.R. Smith on, on Tatum. You have Kevin Love on Horford, and that, that matchup's worked just fine for the Cavs over the years. Um, George Hill on Rozier, um, and then, yeah, LeBron on, on, on Jalen Brown. With the Celtics having as, as many of the sort of different offensive weapons as, as you mentioned, obviously, and, and hitting on some of the different matchups that Cleveland could approach this thing with, we know, you alluded to it before, defense was an issue for Cleveland throughout the regular season at points in the playoffs as well. Is that something that, given the, the – there is no super talent on this Celtics team. There's no Kyrie Irving, but there's a lot of balance. There's, there's a lot of we can hit you from this angle or that angle. Is that going to be a problem for Cleveland? It will be a problem for Cleveland if they turn the ball over. Uh, we saw that they didn't take care of the basketball against Indiana. Indiana got out in transition. That you know they scored easy buckets. That fed to their confidence. A more confident team defends harder. A team that defends harder turns the other team over, and it's a self perpetuating cycle. And they didn't do that against Toronto. Uh, Toronto, they you know tied a playoff low for um, franchise history with three turnovers in the game. They only had I think nine turnovers for the first two games of the series. Uh, they really controlled the action, um, which gave them more shots on offense when they weren't turning it over and when they get more shots they score more points so they score more points they're more confident and then they're playing more uh with, with more effort on defense so uh i think that's really going to be the linchpin to it all how that plays out uh, whether the Cavs take care of the basketball or not because guarding the Celtics in half court is uh, an easier proposition than having to guard them in in transition opportunities all the time who do you think the best well we know LeBron is the best player in this series. Who do you think the second best player is in this series? Is it Kevin Love or is it somebody from the Celtics? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think you'd have to say Al Horford um, because he's had a more consistent two rounds. Now, Kevin Love, the last three games of the Toronto series, looks looked like a beast. Um, and if he carries over that level of play, then you would go with Kevin Love. Um, but Al Horford threw however many games the Celtics have played in the playoffs thus far, um, I guess 11. I mean, it looks like, like the better player, and um, he's making plays on both ends. So I, I guess I would, I would go Horford. Um, but Kevin Love is, is uh, if he plays the way he had been playing to end the Toronto series, um, will we'll certainly have a major impact on, on the Celtics series. So I know you're inclined to, in, in this world of predictions, you're inclined to go with LeBron, go with the Cavs in this series, but do you believe the Celtics can win this series? I think they can. Having home court advantage helps. You could look at it one of two ways, right? Like there's going to be less pressure on them this series than there's going to be on the Cavs because 
the Cavs still have the idea that I was talking about earlier about if they fall down in the series, every game the Cavs play in Cleveland could be LeBron's last game there. And that, that's the whole, you know, kind of cloud that the Cavs have to deal with versus the Celtics don't at all. The Celtics were playing with house money. Mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving are over on the sidelines. Our future is bright no matter what. This is just gravy. Um, and and let's enjoy it. And our players are so young, they don't even know any better that how special of an opportunity this really is. Um, so in terms of all those factors, I think the Celtics have it on their side. Uh, I, I think the Cavs are a more talented team in terms of more in terms of the guys they have healthy. Um, had had Celtics been completely healthy, I maybe have a different answer there. But um, the, the healthy Cavs are a more talented team, and. I just don't think LeBron's going to lose four four times in seven games the way he's playing right now. So I, I stick with you know the Cavs winning in a long series. Um, I, I have the Cavs in six. So before I let you go, it's always nice to get the perspective of someone who does work outside the city and covers the league. What what's your view, your perception of the Celtics, of their young talent, of their growth, of like you said, the future's bright given the guys that they know they're going to be having next year. What's the sort of short and long-term view of, of what this franchise can be? Well, there's a shot on the TNT broadcast after game five against Philly where there's Danny Ainge on the sidelines, like right in the thick of things on the court after the game ended. And I think he was embracing Rozier. And then I think he either went up to Tatum or Brown afterwards. And it just struck me that, you know, between him and obviously Brad Stevens and Wick Grossman, um, Gross, excuse me, Grossbeck or uh, Grossbeck, yep, Grossbeck, excuse me, with Grossbeck. I mean, there's a a really strong structure in place in that triumvirate, uh, and that matters so much, uh, I think, to the teams that have sustainability and and have a chance to kind of win it every year, um, even if some things go sideways, because they just have a program in place and. The, the teams you look to that have been like that over the last 20 years are you know, the Spurs in Miami, really. And uh, so to be in that elite company says a lot already. And, you know, I think some of the player development has really impressed me. You know, Jalen Brown, I didn't think Jalen Brown would be this player. Um, I, I didn't quite get him as a player in, in the past. I thought he was just, just more athleticism than actual skill and uh, he's improved tremendously Rozier has improved tremendously uh, even a guy like Smart has who spent his entire league with the Celtics has gotten better and better um, and so that to me says a lot about well, what what the team and the culture is in place in Boston right now and then you know that's what it's all about you kind of create this pool where success is, is possible, and then you hope that a guy like Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward cannonballs in. <laughs> and um, that's going to happen next year, and they're going to be a problem for the rest of the league um, as long as they have health on their side um, for this next, you know, five, six-year window. Of course, as we've learned, you never know when Trader Danny's going to strike. <laughs> Not a lot of people around <laughs> here saw the Kyrie Irving thing coming down the pike. I don't know that people in Cleveland did either necessarily, so... Uh, yeah, this roster looks the way it looks right now and, and theoretically on paper with what it'll look like next year. But at the same time, offseason comes and it's you know, 
Joker's wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's now uh, seen enough from Terry Rozier that they want to sell high on Kyrie. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a, I'm well, not I, I think I think it's probably I, no. I think it's more realistic they sell high on on Terry yeah, Rozier. Rozier. Yeah. Right. Exactly. See if you can uh, package him, move up in the draft or something like that. The lottery balls don't bounce their way. But uh, whatever the event, I know uh, you've got to get going. I've kept you for a while and a lot of good stuff. And always good to have another Syracuse guy here on the pod as, yeah. uh, as well. So, Dave McMenamin, thank you very much. Enjoy Boston, and uh, we'll see how the series plays out. All right. Thanks, Adam. Well, it's great stuff from both Sherrod and Dave. No time for questions today, obviously, because this is just a really long show and you've had to uh, listen through a lot. want to remind you, episode 262 featuring NBC Sports Boston's A. Sherrod Blakely and ESPN's Dave McMenamin, powered by Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com today. Get 20% off your first order with the promo code CLNS. Today's show also powered by Hims. Get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today just by going to 4 slash CLNS. As I always tell you, do us a solid. If you enjoy the show, you want more of them, you're excited, and how can you not be about the postseason right now, subscribe on iTunes, listen on YouTube as well, subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page for a whole bunch of player sound like you heard earlier in the show. Those are there in full after games, hours of press conferences and listening to players from both teams. CLNS is on the road, going to Cleveland, past, been in Milwaukee, been in Philadelphia, getting all sorts of great coverage all about the Celtics. You can't get enough. So subscribe there, but specifically for this show, subscribe on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Adam M. Kaufman. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Leave us five-star ratings. That would be great. It would be much appreciated. And, uh, you know, we'll keep cranking these things out. We have got a fun, fun series ahead. As for my prediction, by the way, I don't think I've given you that. I do think it's going to be Cleveland. I think it's going to be the Cavs probably in six. But you know what? I thought it was going to be the Sixers and Six. So it just goes to show who the hell cares what I think. Let's go out. Let's see another compelling, entertaining Celtics series and keep this miracle season going as long as humanly possible. Thanks to Nick, to Larry, to Evan, another Syracuse guy, by the way. You got me, you got Sherrod, you got Dave, you got Evan. Too much Syracuse on this broadcast, some might say. I think not nearly enough. For everyone at CLNS Media, appreciate you following along again. Subscribe. And we'll keep doing this. In the meantime, hopefully we'll see some Gino at the Garden. 